the Phillies season is halfway over. If the season ended today, the Phillies would be in the playoffs. We'll break down the Phillies' first half with Tim Malcolm. And what trades might the Phillies make at the deadline? Tim Kelly talks it through with us. And what will the Phillies' legacy be for Jason Worth, who retired this week? This and more on the Phillies Nation podcast. Hello and welcome to this Phillies Nation podcast number 45. I am your new host of the Phillies Nation podcast and my name is Frank Close. You might remember me or know me from 97.3 ESPN in Atlantic City and from SportstalkPhilly.com. And I'm really pleased to be able to do this podcast with you where you might hear it on a few different venues as we look to create the best Philadelphia Phillies podcast. I'm most grateful to Tim Malcolm who hosted this podcast previously. Tim will be along with us to talk a little bit about the Phillies season. But first, let's look at today's walk-off win against the Washington Nationals. 13 innings, Jake Garrietta removed after five innings of work, allowing three runs, two earned, and the bullpen shuts it down against the Washington Nationals for eight innings of relief. One of the better performances out there so far this year for the Phillies. Bullpen not to be outdone by yesterday, where the Phillies got seven shutout innings from the bullpen. But perhaps most important, the Phillies took three games out of four against what many thought would be the NL East champions, the Washington Nationals. And with today's win, the Phillies have now completed 82 games this season, which means the season is officially half over, even though the All-Star break has not happened just yet. So to break down the first half of the season, we're very happy to have back new Houstonian Tim Malcolm. What's going on, Tim? Hey, Frank. Uh, it's, it's good to be uh, on the other side of things here, answering questions instead of asking them for the first time. Good to be here. How was your move down to Houston? Uh, it was really nice. I actually took a big road trip with my dad, and we took three days and drove all the way down from New York. I lived in New York before, down to Texas, and it was a lot of fun, very hot, uh, really hot weather, uh, but I got to go to the first, uh, my first Astros game at Minute Park on Tuesday night, which was really fun. Uh, Charlie Morton, former Philly Charlie Morton, threw 12 strikeouts and was just unhittable against the Blue Jays, and then they won 7 to nothing. so that was a lot of fun. And certainly Charlie Morton has been what the Phillies certainly hoped he would have been a couple seasons ago, and unfortunately the Phillies didn't get to benefit from that, but, but really fast because we're mostly going to talk about the Phillies. What did you think of Minute Maid Park so far? It's a fun stadium. My dad was actually summing it up pretty well. If you look at the outfield, it looks like an old-school ballpark with all the signage everywhere. There's an advertisement for everything out there in the outfield, and it's almost – you get get vertigo watching it. But it's a really cool park. The fans are fun. They're having a good time. The Astros just won the World Series, obviously, so everybody's in good spirits. And the food's good. They have tacos. They have nachos. They have really good beer, Texas beer, which is on the way up. So uh, a lot of good things happening there. It's not the same as Citizens Bank. I still like Citizens Bank a little bit more, but uh, it's a fun park, and I'm, I'm glad to call it my home now. 
And so the Astros are indeed the reigning World Series champions. And you know what? If the Phillies season ended today, they would be in the playoffs. So if you take a look at the playoff picture, the Phillies in the National League East, they're three games behind Atlanta out of first place. The Washington Nationals, thanks to this, uh, what do you want to call this little blip? I'm not impressed with them very much, but that's a, that's a discussion for another day. But the Washington Nationals are six games out of first place. But when you look at the wild card, the Cubs have the first National League wild card, and the Phillies are two games behind them, but one and a half game from anybody else. So the Phillies would be a playoff team right now. So, so looking back at the first half of the season, what is it that you think is responsible for the Phillies being in the position where they are that they could be in the playoffs if the season ended today? I think it's really two things that have been strong for the Phillies in the first half. One is the starting pitching, which we all thought would be sort of pedestrian at best this year. But Aaron Nola has obviously evolved into a top-shelf pitcher. I mean, he's got an ERA of 2.48. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is still extremely good right now. Uh, and every time he goes out there, you can count on him going six, seven innings and throwing, you know, at most two to three runs allowed. I mean, he's really, really solid. And then beyond that, though, you have Nick Pavetta, who has been durable. You know, we, he hasn't been the best pitcher, but he's had moments where he's been really outstanding. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is excellent, 103 strikeouts to 26 walks. Velasquez has actually been better than we thought he would be. He's gone deeper into games this year, which is really strong. You know, Jake Arrieta has had his struggles with not striking out enough batters and still having some trouble uh, getting out of innings, but he has at least kept the ship afloat for him. Zach Eflin's been fantastic. I mean, what can we say about how he's really stepped up this year and has become a different pitcher, more secondary offerings, been really solid. Uh, and the other thing that's really been standing out to me is just how Gabe Kapler has sort of led this team. He talked about early in the year the value at the margins and how this team will try to win games at any cost. You know, they will do the little things that are, you know, possible to try to win those games that teams aren't doing. And I feel like it has started to come out in the Phillies' end. They've been a relatively bad defensive team because they haven't had guys in the right positions and they're younger players. And they also have had a lot of struggling, streaky players offensively. And the bullpen has not been the best. And yet they're winning more games than they've lost and they're eight games over 500. So that, to me, says the pitching has been excellent but also the managing has been pretty solid and they've kept a really steady sort of, you know, uh, they've been a steady clubhouse. You know, they haven't, they haven't been too upset at each other. They haven't, you know, ever been too down. They've been really steady. And then beyond that, Gabe has made some really good in-game decisions, as we saw on Sunday in the game against the Nationals. Really, every decision he made paid off for the Phillies. And I think it's starting to turn the corner. And I think those things together have made this team better than we thought they would be at this point. Now let's take a, a few of those things you said and kind of break them down. You mentioned Jake Arrieta. Where do you think the Phillies are right now if they have never signed Jake Arrieta? You know, it, it, he was kind of out there for a while, lots of rumors, lots of people saying, oh, it's unlikely. Well, Jake Arrieta's here. He did have a little bit of a tough June, but where do you think the Phillies are without Jake Arrieta? You know, I think record-wise, it's hard to debate. I mean, I think they'd probably be a worse team without Arietta. Look, his ERA is three five four. That's a pretty good ERA. His FIP is four one six, which is a little bit worse, which is what it was last year. But if you compare that to what the Phillies had in the rotation last year, between a much worse Nick Pavetta and Jared Eichhoff struggling for the time that he was in there, and some of the other pitchers that they had in the rotation, 
they're better off with Jake Arrieta. On the other side, you have a veteran pitcher who has been in that postseason conversation, who's been with teams that have been contending, like the Cubs back in 2016. Uh, this is a guy who has been in that fire, and I think his leadership has helped the rotation a little bit. Maybe not so much someone like Aaron Nola, who is already extremely good, and we could just see that happening over the course of the year, but a Nick Pavetta, a Vince Velasquez, a Zach Eflin. These guys probably have helped a little bit having Jake Arrieta be there and, and sort of teach them, uh, you know, sort of how to be a more durable and stronger pitcher with more offerings than just your fastball and your secondary pitch. Um, Arietta has been the best, but I think he's really given the Phillies a lot more intangible than what we're seeing right now in the field. You know, maybe they're a couple games over 500 without Arietta, but honestly, I think this team's much better off with a veteran like him and the staff. Yeah, and if not him, maybe Ben Lively is starting every five days, uh, or maybe right. they're bouncing around between Lively and somebody else who's down at AAA right now, which, you know, they have a couple nice young pitchers in, in De Los Santos and Irvin, but they might not be ready yet. So so in a way, yeah, he's really kind of stabilized that rotation for the, for the Phillies. Now, uh, you mentioned Gabe Kapler. Now, what would you say when you consider Kapler and you consider the new coaching staff that has been put into place – how much credit do you give them as a whole for this this sort of Phillies resurgence? I'm like the biggest Gabe Kapler apologist. I think that's the first thing I should say. I mean, I've always been a big fan of him since the beginning. But I look at managers as they can sway your record a little bit in one or the other direction. You know, if you have a 500 team, a manager is really good at getting you another three or four wins in either direction. So I think Kapler has done – the things that are necessary to get this team to be more of a contending team than they are sort of a 500 middling mediocre team. And I'm talking about just putting faith in guys to, you know, put them out there every day. I mean, you know, there might be Pete McCannon last year might not have ridden Scott Kingery as much as, as Kapler has this year. Kingery has still struggled this year, but he's getting more and more time out in the infield. And I think that's been helping him a lot. Um, You know, he may have been, uh, he might have he might have benched Rodubel Herrera a little bit more last year, but Kapler this year has put all this faith in Herrera, and that has helped a big a, a big amount. And Herrera's had an exceptional year. Um, and then beyond that, just I think the leadership in the clubhouse has been fantastic. We had the little dust stuff, and we mentioned Arietta. He talked about you know he almost threw his fielders under the bus earlier this year when he had a rough start, but that was really the only dust stuff that the Phillies have had this year. And I think Kapler's leadership and positivity I mean, his reaction to that Arietta dust up was fantastic you know he even took the blame himself he's been a really nice steadying force for this team and a bunch of young guys who are 24 25 26 years old to have a guy like that who's played in the league who's using these new you know ways to look at how to strategize and win games putting that all together having him as your leader I think that's only helped this team having him in front has given them probably those couple wins that they've needed to be more surprising than we thought they would be. Now, one thing that you mentioned is the Phillies' defense. Now, they have, now this is what the critics will say. They've got a first baseman in left field. They have a second baseman at shortstop. And before he got hurt, uh, they had a shortstop at third base. So what do you think of the Phillies' defense? And, and, and really, has that really set them back significantly when you consider the first half of the season? I mean, it, it, can't, it can't help, right, when you have a team that is committing so many errors, 58 errors, they are, I mean, they're actually not the worst in the National League, but they're right there. And 
yeah, it can help when you have Odie Hoskins who really should just be working on his hitting and not have to worry about fielding, but he's out there in that field and he has to, you know, sometimes be ready to run quite a bit to get a bar, some stuff like that. I, I think it, it, it certainly can be better for the Phillies, but as I said earlier this year, and I keep saying it, even if this team does not make the playoffs, and I don't necessarily think they're a playoff team, but I think they are definitely a fun surprise. But if they don't make the playoffs, get those guys out there every day. Let them play defense, even in positions that they're not accustomed to. Give them the flexibility necessary, because maybe next year, 2020, when this team really is a contender, and you have one or two more free agent signings on board, and this team looks like they're ready to really compete with teams like the Cubs and the Dodgers, that's when that's going to come in handy, when, when Scott Kingery can really play shortstop at a high level or right field at a high level. And Reese Hoskins is now a pretty good left fielder. I think if you just give these guys more reps in the outfield or, or wherever, wherever they're playing where they're not used to playing, that's only going to help this team. And this is the time to do it when they're young and working on everything else. Now, you speak of getting those reps. Now, on the bullpen, the Phillies have had a lot of inconsistency you know, we've seen flashes of brilliance out of the likes of Yaxel Rios and Victor Arano, uh, Ed O'Brien Ramos before he got hurt. Uh, certainly, Sir Anthony Dominguez has been a tremendous asset to the Phillies' bullpen. Uh, but others have struggled, the likes of Hector Neris, uh, who the, who closed out last season with 20 straight saves, and he, he is now in AAA. Uh, so what do you think then in terms of the bullpen? Should those guys be getting their reps in the major leagues? Or like Neris, should he be a triple-A right now? I mean, the thing about Neris is I think people always think he's younger than he is. He's 29 years old. He's basically in the prime of his career, um, at, at least when you're looking at ages. Um, I don't think it's necessary for him to get more reps if he's struggling this badly. When, when a guy is giving up runs every time he goes out there, there is a time to pull the plug on him and put him in the minors and just get his confidence back to where it should be. But certainly guys like Axel Rios and Victor Arano and Sir Anthony, of course, those guys should be out there more often than not and pitching the innings that are necessary. You know, Tommy Hunter, I wish he has been a little bit better this year. I know that the fifth is better than the ERA is, and when you break down a strikeout-to-walk ratio, it's a lot better. But he has not gotten the results that you want him to get. And you would hope that, you know, Adam Morgan would be a little bit more effective every time he goes out there. So when it comes to the veterans struggling, I think they need to do something about that. And if it comes, if, if they're still contending when it comes to three weeks from now and they're right there in the mix, maybe you go out and get that reliever or two relievers to short the bullpen. But if you, if I'm the Phillies, I keep throwing out there Sir Anthony and Yaxel Rios and Victor Arano and Zach Curtis and Austin Davis and the younger guys who could make a difference for this team, not just this year, but down the line. Because even if they don't make the playoffs, these are the guys you want to be able to rely on next year. And you don't want to go out there next year and spend $12 million a year on some you know, eighth-inning reliever like a Darren O'Day who's going to come in and maybe help you out, but maybe not because relievers are fungible. So the more young guys that they can get to get into the good situations and get guys out in, in eighth and ninth-inning situations, that's what they have to do right now. You know, forget the fact, playoffs or not, get those guys in position. Now, you could argue that the more Austin Davis pitches, and by the way, he had a tremendous outing today, going one in the third innings, striking out three against those tough Washington Nationals lefties. 
But you can make the argument that the more that the Davises and the later juniors and and even the Aranos who've had a lot of success, the more that they face major league hitters, that could knock the Phillies out of the playoffs. Is it still worth yeah. letting them pitch regularly if it means they don't make the playoffs this year? Well, yes, but, you know, Tommy Hunter can knock them out of the playoffs too, right? Tommy Hunter has made this team, it's put this team in a precarious situation with the way he's pitched in the late innings as a secondary. So, you know, relievers are relievers. And, and every year, you know, you could see a guy put up a 1.79 ERA the next year, put up a 5.3 ERA. It just, you won with what you have. That's good. And if these guys are pitching well, let them go. And if not, then you make the adjustments. But as long as this team is young and, and in that situation where they can win some games and get some confidence, I'd let these guys pitch. Now, before you go, uh, we're going to talk to Tim Kelly in a bit about the Phillies trade deadline and how they might approach that. But looking ahead to the trade deadline, what areas would you address if you had the ability to make some changes on this Phillies team? I think relief pitching would be the place I would start. Um, You know, if you're going to go into a contending situation where you have half the bullpen not performing up to its ability and that half the bullpen is better in, then you need to think about getting some sort of a, uh, you know, tap someone to come in and be that seventh or eighth inning guy. Um, I would still ride with some of the young guys, but, you know, if, if it's this strong, go with someone, trade for someone who's, who's going to get you those innings. Um, otherwise, you know, they could use a starting pitcher, but I don't necessarily think it's necess- that it's, it's that important. Um, Velasquez has been fine. Pavetta's been fine. Noel's been fantastic. And Arietta's been fine. Uh, and that's what's been great. So I don't know if you need that sixth guy right now. It could help when you get down to it, but I don't think they're in a position where another starting pitcher is going to, you know, lift them from potential contender to a World Series contender. I, I think that's too big of a jump. Um, and then offensively, I think you just ride with what you got. It hasn't been a great year for some of these outfielders. You know, Arnold Harris had a really tough year. Nick Williams has been up and down. Um, it'd be nice to get a cornerback, but I don't think this is the time you address that position. And then, you know, people are talking about Mike Moustakis. People are talking about, you know, Manny Machado, obviously. But you guys will talk about that later, I'm sure. I don't know if that's necessary at this point. I think Machado is someone that you talk about next season. Uh, Franco has held up his end to a decent degree. He might not be the answer long term, as we've been seeing this year. But he's at least doing a yeoman's job this year. And Moustakis isn't much of an upgrade to man. So I would probably stick with the offense you have, maybe upgrade in the bullpen a little bit. Think about the starting rotation, but unless something is like just incredible, you know, and, and, and you can't deny it, then I don't think you'd make that move. Tim Malcolm, everybody. Now Tim is no longer the host of this and he is now in Houston, Texas, where by the way, how hot is it there today? Because it's pretty damn hot in Philadelphia. I'll tell you, it's about the same temperature as it is in Philadelphia. Today it did reach about 103 here in Houston, but the difference is it will continue to be 103 probably until November. So, so there's no relief here. Well, have a nice cold car back on my behalf. Uh, and listen, listen, Tim, we we hope you won't be a stranger, even though you're far away. Uh, thanks to thanks to internet technology, I'm sure you can keep up the Phillies almost as much as you did before. Uh, Although you'll, you'll have the benefit of no blackouts down there, right? That's right. I, I will get to watch every Phillies Mets game from now on. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. And I'm sure we're going to get to do it again. And 
When we come back, we'll check in with Tim Kelly and talk Philly's hot stove on this Philly's Nation podcast. Welcome back to this Phillies Nation Podcast 45. We now welcome to the show one Tim Kelly, who you can find his work on philliesnation.com. Tim, what's up? What's going on, Frank? Excited. I mean, it's the busiest month of the baseball writing calendar, as you know, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I love this month. Yeah, we, we, we certainly don't have a shortage of things to talk about during this month of July. Yes, it actually is July. And now that the second half of the season has begun, we have to ask the question, what do the Phillies need to complete their roster as they make a playoff run? So let's take a look around the Phillies roster. What positions first, before we start talking about some individual names, what positions do you think that the Phillies really should focus on at this trade deadline? It's funny, about a month ago, I was thinking backup catcher was a major need, and Andrew Knapp has kind of caught fire the last few weeks, so I don't think that's as much of a need. Um, I think they could stand up great in right field. I'm not sure they're going to do that, though, because they get a couple more months of looking at Altair and Nick Williams and hope that one of them seizes it. So I think it really comes down to adding a reliever, and then a lot of people think they should potentially add another starter. I would say third base is also an area that they're – Uh, looking to upgrade as well based off of everything we've seen and read and written. So let's let's start with the left side of the infield because there's a guy out there. He's played third base in the past. This year he has been playing shortstop. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Manny Machado. Uh, Going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what some of the trade rumors are out there with surrounding Manny Machado for, for not just now, but maybe perhaps the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I I know John Heyman wrote last week that the Phillies are one of the two most aggressive teams pursuing Manny Machado, and I I don't doubt that in any way. But a lot of people, MLB.com's Todd Galecki, different people, I think Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia, have kind of said it's still pretty unlikely that they're going to trade for Machado without a guarantee that he's going to resign, and I don't expect there's going to be a guarantee that he's going to resign. So I think in all likelihood what we're looking at is Manny Machado either gets traded or is held onto by the Orioles, and I think that that's still a distinct possibility realizing how dysfunctional that organization is and how many cooks in the kitchen there are, so to speak. Um, I, I think Manny Machado wants to play shortstop long-term. Heyman reported a few weeks ago that the Phillies are willing to accommodate that so in the offseason, I think the Phillies enter as one of the absolute favorites for Manny Machado. I'm not sure it's going to happen this summer, though. So if Machado actually goes somewhere, where do you think that he might actually end up? I think the Dodgers certainly have a chance. And then you you get into teams who probably aren't able to retain him but are trading for him purely as a rental. Teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Atlanta Braves, potentially. That, that would certainly be interesting if he went there. But that's the, the Phillies don't have that type of pressure because they can flex financial muscle in the offseason. Machado, in all likelihood, is going to reach free agency regardless. I think the scary 
uh, thing if you're a Phillies fan that wants Machado to be signed is if Machado ends up in Los Angeles because Los Angeles is a team that he's going to make the playoffs with in all likelihood. And then you also run into the situation where they have enough money to retain him at the end of the season. So they do get a distinct advantage if they trade for him. If he goes to Arizona or Atlanta or wherever, I think that's fine. So what about, though, the, the Dodgers, they have Justin Turner at third base and they've got Corey Seager at shortstop. If they if they sign Manny Machado long-term, where is he going to play? I think you're going to have to get creative. Second base has been a hole for them seemingly for forever. So that's a spot maybe you move Seager there coming off of Tommy John surgery. Manny Machado has not graded out well as a shortstop. Like, it's not even just okay. He's gone from being a Hall of Fame caliber fielder at third base to being one of the league's worst fielding shortstops. But by all indications, that's where he wants to play. So I think if you're the Dodgers or any team acquiring him, you have to take that into account knowing that, yeah, maybe eventually we can convince him to move back to third. But for the beginning of this deal, we're signing him to play shortstop. But knowing how good Manny Machado is as an all-around player, I think Turner and Seager, you make that work to potentially have someone like Manny Machado. And the Phillies certainly would be willing to shuffle some things around for Machado if that time comes. But in the meantime, it seems like the Phillies might be looking towards somebody perhaps on the left side that does not cost them a whole lot. Uh, And that might be somebody like Mike Moustakis. So what do you think about Mike Moustakis coming over to play third base at Citizens Bank Park? I think he's a clear upgrade over what they have now. And that doesn't mean someone like Michael Franco or Scott Kingery or J.P. Crawford or whoever you have slotted in there at third base. Kingery's been playing short more. But um, that doesn't mean one of them couldn't end up being better. But Moustakis is someone that's played in two World Series. He's won one. You would be trading for him as a rental, but also knowing that in the off season you have a chance to sign him. If you don't get Machado, he's a bit of a fallback. But even if you do get Machado at shortstop, you potentially could still re-sign him there. You would have uh, certainly an excess of infielders then. But he's someone that would make sense for the right price. And Jim Salisbury said that uh, the Royals have been scouting the Phillies system, so there appears to be some substance, some traction to that. We'll see what it ultimately leads to. But I think if you're talking about them trading for someone high-profile on that side of the infield, he appears to be the most likely one right now. So Adrian Beltre has been another name that's been out there as a possible left side of the infield trade candidate. Do you think the Phillies and, and Adrian Beltre match up at all? I think they match up well in terms of Adrian Beltre, someone that is still producing. The Phillies need a third baseman that's still producing. They need a veteran. Uh, Beltre could potentially play another season, and the Phillies could potentially have him for another season. But all indications are that he really is not that interested in leaving Texas. And if he does, he wants to be back in Texas next season. And also, if he does, he has 10-5 and rights, so we can block any trade. He wants to go to pretty much a perfect scenario. And for as much as we all think that the Phillies have a bright future, the 2018 Phillies are not a perfect scenario. They're a team a year or two ahead of schedule that might make the playoffs, but Adrian Beltre probably doesn't waive his no-trade clause to maybe play in the wild card game. Now let's talk for a second about the pitching in the bullpen. Now today, the Phillies, as we record this on Sunday night, walk off after the bullpen put an impressive string of scoreless innings together, after another day yesterday where the bullpen put 
seven innings scoreless together. Excuse me, was it one run yesterday? Excuse me. What do they need in this bullpen? If you, if you had to kind of figure out what type of player, any particular player, uh, any type of profile of player, what do they need to really kind of slam the door at the end of the game? Because for every bad game they've had, they've they just kind of pulled off a stretch of a couple where they looked really, really good. I think they need guys that you know what you're getting they come into the game. And they thought they were getting that with Tommy Hunter. That hasn't progressed so far. They thought they were getting that with Pat Neshek. He didn't pitch this season until today. So they need guys that they know what they're getting when they come in. And I think the San Diego Padres have a few potential options, the most notable being at hand. The problem with Hand is he's under contract for a few more seasons, so the Padres really don't need to trade him. And they're going to ask for a bounty for him. And Brad Hand is a very good pitcher. He's not a Raldis Chapman. He's not one of these guys that you trade a ton for. And you're also not a team, like when the Cubs traded for Raldis Chapman, they gave up probably way too much. But they did it in a year where they won the World Series, so it was worth it. The Phillies, if we're being realistic, are probably not going to win the World Series in 2018. So it makes you question if right now is the right time to make a move for one of these elite relievers. You have the prospects to go do it, but it's 2018 this season. And, I mean, beyond Brad Hand, they have Craig Stammen, they have Kirby Yates. Those are two guys that are under control for another season. They've been very good. I guess the problem you run into, even with those two, is – what are they next year? Because a year ago, you could have talked about trading for Tommy Hunter and said, you're getting a very good pitcher, and this year he's regressed. So that's why relievers like Chapman, like Andrew Miller, they're so valuable because there's not that many relievers that Kenley Jansen is another one that are consistently great. And when you have one, they're worth a ton. And the Phillies have Sir Anthony Dominguez right now, but he's probably best used in other innings, and they need that guy for the ninth inning right now. It's funny, Brad Hand, a couple years ago with the Miami Marlins, the Phillies used to face him regularly, and he was not all that great, and yet he's somebody who went to the bullpen and really made a difference in that new role. Now, uh, the Phillies are going to have a glut of starting pitching soon, provided everybody gets healthy. Do they have anybody internally that might be able to fill a bullpen role? I think there's a point this season where, because of innings, Vince Velasquez really didn't pitch enough last year uh, because of health reasons where you're probably going to look at pushing him to the bullpen. But the thing he's done this season is he's been good enough as a starter that in 2019 he's probably a starter again. So he's an option. I think Eniel De Los Santos is someone that eventually could be in that role, but I don't think he's someone that necessarily you want to put into that box right now. That doesn't mean he won't come up late in the season and fill that role, but ultimately you'll probably still give him a chance to start. Nick Pavetta looks pretty incredible out of the bullpen in an inning today. He was pushing 100 miles an hour with some of his pitches, but he's had a very good season. Saturday aside, he's been probably the Phillies' second-best starting pitcher this season, so he's someone that's going to be there. Ultimately, starting pitchers remain the most valuable commodity that you can have. The Phillies are going to have a glut of pitchers, and maybe that means some of the guys end up in the bullpen, but maybe it also means you package some of that pitching eventually to go get some relievers. Now, in terms of starters, since we've talked frequently about how the Phillies need a left-handed starter to go with their complement of right-handed starters, they they haven't really had a left-hand starter in the rotation on a regular basis since 
what, Brett Oberholzer or when Adam Morgan used to start. So uh, might the Phillies make a, a deal for a left-handed pitcher, perhaps namely somebody named Cole Hamels? Yeah, I think the Cole Hamels thing is pretty unlikely. Sure, Cole Hamels is a 361 ERA right now, but he's 16 starts deep into the season, and he has a 5.23 fifth. That is that's bad. Like, there's no other way to look at it. I know Phillies fans have a very positive memory of what Cole Hamels did. He's remained present in the community, but it's going to take something to trade for him. Luckily, he doesn't have his no trade call, or the Phillies aren't one of the teams he can block a trade to. So that part works in their favor. The problem is, if you're trading for him, essentially saying, not only are we trading for Cole Hamels as a rental right now, but the Phillies are going to pick up the option for $20 million in 2019. And I, I just look at Cole Hamels at this stage of his career and think, this isn't someone that's worth $20 million. I know the Phillies aren't financially strapped in any way, but there's just better uses of that money than using it on Cole Hamels. As far as a left-handed pitcher, you would prefer, of course, to have a left-handed starter, but I don't think you necessarily need a left-handed starter to be successful. Um, and you certainly don't go out and, forced having a left-handed starter. I think if you're going to look at a former Philly left-handed starter as a rental, Jay Happ probably makes more sense than Cole Hamels at this stage. But Jay Happ, again, is somebody who's only a rental. Uh, Who knows what happens to him in the offseason, but if you're the Phillies and there's not a lot of starters out there, Jay Happ might be a hot commodity. Do Do you pay the price for somebody like Jay Happ to be your rental? Yeah, I think in my mind you stand pat with your starting rotation. You hope Jake Arrieta is much better than he was in May. I think Nick Pavetta has had a very good season other than maybe two starts. Vince Velasquez has been good. And then you have guys, obviously Aaron Nola has been incredible. You have guys at AAA in Cole Irvin and Daniel De Los Santos who at some point this season are going to make an impact. You have Zach Eflin who has been pretty much remarkable. He had one of the better months the Phillies pitchers ever had last month. So I think you stand pat. That is not a pressing need, and you're not such a good team that you need to go all in this year. Like, the Phillies window is just opening. So, sure, if you feel comfortable with the price being asked for Hamels or for Half or whoever it may be, you make the trade. I have a feeling the Phillies might not feel overly comfortable about that, and they'll stand pat or make a lesser transaction. And just to close our trade rumor talk, you know, you mentioned earlier that you thought that the Phillies needed a backup catcher. Andrew Knapp has kind of come into his own as of late. Uh, he hit that walk-off home run today, which very interestingly, as we saw in the broadcast, his dad said that he should hit a walk-off since he wasn't going to be in the starting lineup today on this Sunday. Uh, but if you look at, at Andrew Knapp's stats, all right, so the last seven days he's batting 400 in the last 15 days, it's 320. The last 30 days, 297. Are you okay with Andrew Knapp? I think at this stage, I probably am okay. I'm not sure that's what I would go into 2019 with because I, I think you need a backup with some more stability. So you're not going to go trade for JT Real Muto or anything like that. Jorge Alfaro is going to be the starter in 2019. But Jorge Alfaro has been a bad offensive player. He has a negative offensive war. He's striking out almost 40% of the time. When he's good, he's good. And I think he has a high ceiling. I'm not sure how much offensive consistency you'll ever get from him. So it would be nice to have a backup with a little bit more stability behind that you know when you put him out there, 
kind of what you're going to get. So I think that's something the Phillies could look at in the offseason. But for the time being, I think Andrew Knapp has earned being the back probably the rest of the way out. Tim and I will be back right after this to talk about the retirement of a world champion. Nation podcast. Frank Close, Tim Kelly here, and we're going to take a moment to talk about Jason Worth, who retired from baseball sort of unofficially through John Heyman of Fan Cred Sports, and that's what they're known now as Fan Cred, no longer a fan rag. I never understood that to begin with, but uh, so Jason Worth calls it a career, and Tim, when you think of Jason Worth and his time with the Phillies, what's your overwhelming first thought? I think my overwhelming first thought is Jason Worth was an all-time great postseason hitter. I mean, this is an organization that's employed Mike Schmidt, who, uh, and I did go back and check this, they played about the same amount of playoff games with the Phillies. Jason Worth has way more home runs. And Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins played uh, an entire another season of playoff games with the Phillies, and Jason Worth is still the franchise leader in playoff home runs. So really when I think of his time in Philadelphia, uh, that's what comes to mind. Pretty fascinating, too. The Hall of Fame general manager, Pat Gillick, you know, originally drafts this guy with the Baltimore Orioles. He gets traded to the Toronto Blue Jays, gets traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and next thing you know, A.J. Burnett hits his wrist with a pitch, and he struggles after that, and Gillick is able to pick him up for, for next to nothing prior to the 2007 season. Now, can you think of any other Phillies that really sort of had that 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 stroke of luck uh, where the general manager picks up somebody technically kind of off the scrap heap? I mean, Jason Worth, designated for assignment, kind of could have been picked up by anybody, claimed on waivers by anybody, and yet Pat Gillick remembers the guy he drafted. Is there anybody else in your memory that has such a background like that with the Phillies? Well, I think that's what made uh, Pat Gillick such a genius uh, at being able to scout players when he was a general manager. If you just think in his tenure alone, you have Greg Dobbs, you have Scott Ayer, you have you know a whole host of different guys that Matt Stairs, obviously, that he got for next to nothing that they probably don't win the 2008 World Series without. And then, I mean, even going past that, you think of Shane Victorino, you think of Odubel Herrera's guys where – in the grand scheme of the production you got for them, you gave up pretty much nothing to get them. But Jason Worth, you literally gave up nothing to get. So, I mean, I think that is telling. I think it was a very good move, obviously, on Pat Gillick's part. And it's one of the reasons he's going on to the Wall of Fame this summer. And Jason Worth, really, he actually makes one all-star team with the Phillies, thanks to, I believe it was a, was it a, the final vote, or was it uh, he was added it, after it an was, injury? It, it was Charlie Manuel's decision, because I remember there, were, there was a lot of people outside of Philadelphia that were a little upset that Manuel picked one of his own guys as an injury replacement. But, I mean, in the reality, if you look at Jason Worth's career, it would have been strange. He isn't someone that's a Hall of Famer, but it would have been strange if he hadn't made one all-star team. Now, of course, since he left Philadelphia, he signed that seven-year, $126 million contract with the Washington Nationals. 
And when that happened, everybody thought it was absolutely ludicrous. Now that it's over, do you think the Washington Nationals got value for that contract? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about the value that you can't uh, project in numbers in terms of Jim Tomey's impact in Philadelphia. And I do think it was a similar impact in Washington, not to mention you had out of those seven, you had two really good seasons, four productive seasons. Um, he hit a walk-off home run in the postseason game, even though the Nationals were never able to get past that first round with that, with him. So I, I also think $126 million meant a lot more in 2010 than it means than it meant by the end of the deal. I mean, it wasn't a great deal by any means, but when you compare it to Ryan Howard's contract or to a lot of the other contracts signed at that time, uh, it really wasn't a terrible contract. And when you look back, the Washington Nationals in, in Worth's first year were still kind of a bottom of the, the National League East kind of team, but then all of a sudden in 2012, uh, the Washington Nationals made the playoffs. Can you attribute a lot of that to Jason Worth? Yeah, I think you can attribute it to that. You can also attribute it to the fact that the rest of the division at that time, I mean, the Phillies were falling off, and uh, the Marlins weren't good, the Mets weren't good, the Braves weren't particularly good consistently throughout that stretch. So, yeah, I mean, I I do think you can uh, attribute it to that to a degree, but then the rest of the division really wasn't that great either. Now, speaking of the rest of the division, the Phillies got to watch him for those seven years. And when Worth made his return to Philadelphia, he was welcomed by a chorus of boos. Uh, he tipped his cap uh, anyway, if you might remember that. Uh, but do you think Worth has been fairly treated since he left the Phillies? And what do you think it is that really upset fans that they sort of turned on Worth? Yeah, I, I don't think that. And there are a multitude of reasons. Obviously, the biggest one being the quote of the Washington Post in 2012 talking about, I will personally see that they never get a parade down Broad Street. But it was overreactionary, and in hindsight, he probably shouldn't have said it. But there were there was a group of fans there in Washington. It was a Sunday night baseball game in 2012 that was cheering when he broke his wrist and when he, in his own words, felt nauseous. So I understand him being upset about that. People also forget that wasn't Jason Worth's first season in Washington. That was his second. So when he came back in 2011, his first season, he wasn't treated particularly well then, even prior to the quote. So that's what really got me. And also what got me is 2012 was the second year of that contract, and then in year seven you still had people booing. Like At a certain point, you kind of move on from that and realize this was someone and two, the Phillies have won the World Series twice in you know, however long the World Series existed, and this is one of the key reasons that they were able to do that. It was one of the reasons they had such a sustained period of success. At a certain point, you've got to let it go. Jason Worth, after that, praised Philadelphia a bunch nearly every time he came back. Last season, he tipped his cap in what turned out to be his final at-bat in Philadelphia. So I, I think there has been a softening from some people, and then the rest just kind of haven't done proper research because I'm not exactly sure. People are mad he signed with a divisional rival, but I'm not exactly sure what they expected him to do because it wasn't as though the Phillies gave a competitive offer. At that time, I believe they gave him like a four-year offer. It wasn't even close to what he got in Washington. So it made sense for him to go to D.C. So are they really mad, or is this just kind of 
Philadelphia fans trying to be funny. Like, like Billy Wagner's mad that the Phillies fans booed him when he didn't throw 100, even though every, every Phillies fan was sitting in the stands laughing. You know, are, are Philly fans really mad at Jason Worth, or do you think that now that he's no longer on the enemy, they'll, they'll embrace him wholeheartedly? I don't think they'll ever embrace him wholeheartedly. I think if he's there for the 2008 uh, ceremony in August, I think he'll hear some cheers. Ruben Amaro heard cheers earlier this season. And Jason Worth would probably have a significantly higher approval rating among people in Philadelphia uh, than Ruben Amaro, who was his general manager for uh, a couple seasons. So I don't know. I think it's a case of a lazy narrative being pushed and not a lot of people fact-checking it. It reminds me when people say, oh, Bryce Harper's lazy or Bryce Harper's cocky, uh, Worth's former teammate. And it's just kind of like when you really ask them, what they're talking about, people don't really know. It's just kind of one of those things that started around the time that the Worth narrative started, and a lot of people didn't question it. So I think it's more a case of a lazy narrative than anything. And we shall see on the first weekend of August when the Phillies have their 2008 reunion. And that'll do it for this Phillies Nation Podcast 45. It's been a pleasure being with you this evening. My name is Frank Close. Check us out at philliesnation.com, sportstalkphilly.com, and 973espn.com. Catch you next week.